This is the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. We are a church passionate about encountering Jesus and sharing his love with our city. To find out more about who we are, visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk. to say is I didn't actually work for myself at the start. That was Rhiannon, not me, Um, because that's a weird thing to do. Wouldn't be the first time, but it definitely wasn't today. Great. Hi, I'm Katie. Nice to see you all. Um, I feel like I know most people here. Um, If I don't know some of you, the important things you need to know is I really like dogs, I really like ice cream, and I really like the beach. And when they all happen at once, that's like my dream day. So feel free to take me to the beach anytime. That would be sweet. Great. So recently, we have been working through the life of David. If you've been around, you'll know that. If not, I'm just going to do like a super whistle-stop tour of like some of the key moments from his life. He started out as a shepherd boy, um, serving others, but he was called by God uh, to be a king. He was anointed by God. He then defeated a giant with a stone, not your everyday occurrence. He became a hero in the army of Saul. And then the same Saul tried to kill him too many times for it to be okay. Um, He won back Jerusalem, he defeated the Philistines, um, and that is where we pick up today's story. And along the way as well, he made some pretty questionable choices. And I love that the Bible has characters that consistently try and do what God tells them to do, but they fall short so many times. Like That gives me a little bit of hope um, that we've kind of got this. So today, as we look at the life of David, we're thinking about the heart of worship. What does it mean for David to have had a heart of worship, and what does that look like for us? We're in 2 Samuel. Um, If you've got a Bible and you want to turn to it, that's fine. Scroll to it, tap to it. Um, If you don't have one but you want to read along, there should be some at the back, I think. Hannah nodded, yes. There are some Bibles at the back, so feel free to grab one. Um, But I'm not actually going to read the passage because it had some really difficult words that I couldn't say, so my nice friend Rachel is actually going to come and read it for me. Um, So it's 2 Samuel 6. Uh, verses 1 to 15. I don't know if saying the words are really hard, my friend's going to do it, makes us friends anymore, but (laughs) we'll figure it out. Cool, and if I say the words wrong, just pretend I said them right. Okay, so we're in 2 Samuel 6, starting at verse 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bali Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought out of it, brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Yuza and Iho, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Iho went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Yuza put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuza, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died before the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Yuza, and that place is called Perez Yuza to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? 
So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was, told that king, it was told King David, the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of God had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Great. So that's our passage today. Um, Yeah, I feel like before we go any further, I just want to pray really quick um, for us. Jesus, I thank you for um, this passage. Would you speak to each one of us today? Um, Would the things that are of you for us um, stick in our hearts and would the things that you don't want us to take forward um, fall away? Amen. Great. So that is the passage. Um, If you're anything like me, I first read it and thought, how has this got anything to teach me about a heart of worship? Like, what's happening here? It's a bit chaotic. Um, But when you dig into it a little bit, it seems a bit less random Um, Verse 5 in my translation uh, says that is this picture of David um, worshipping with the people with all of his might. Um, What would that have looked like? I genuinely don't know if you could ever say I've tried to do something with all of my might. I think it's quite intense. Um, I don't know about you, just me. But what would that look like for us as a church if we were known as a church that worships with all of our might? If we're known as a church who puts God at the center with everything that we are and everything that we have. It's easy to read this passage. Um, I think that's a great picture of a heart of worship. And don't get me wrong, it totally is. But it's what happens next that I feel like we need to dig into a little bit. There's this weird scene where someone stumbles and touches the ark and they're just drop dead, that's it. It's quite, it's quite intense again, right? It makes not a whole lot of sense unless we kind of look at the importance of what the Ark of God is. Um, so we're going to start by just looking at that super briefly. In the Bible, sometimes the Ark of God is called the Ark of the Covenant. And it first pops up in Exodus um, after Moses is given the Ten Commandments. God says really clear directions on how it's to be built, what it's to be built of, what it means, how they're meant to carry it, how it should look. God was so clear that it should be carried using two poles with four rings, one at each corner, by priests. That's, that's what he told them to do. The other important thing um, is what the ark represented. For our pastors today, that's super important. The bit where he says to Moses in Exodus 25, uh, verse 8, he says he wants them to build the ark so he can dwell in their midst. At the center of the whole point of the ark is God's desire to be with his people. The other important thing um, is in Numbers 4, where God says very directly, don't touch the holy things in the tabernacle, tabernacle or you'll die. Pretty, pretty important, something that probably they should have listened to, um, but clearly they didn't. So jumping back to today's passage, David had the ark put on a new cart and it was pulled by oxen. This is the total opposite to what God had said um, about how it should be carried, how they should have um, a level of respect for the ark, for all that it meant. 
David has this moment of worship that is paired with this moment of complete disobedience. You can imagine it's probably quite slow to carry an ark with some poles. It's probably faster, a little bit easier to use a cart. But he chose the easy way over the way that God had told them to do. And when it's inconvenient and slower and more complicated and more work, how often do we sometimes take the easy way? We can know what God has said or we know what the right thing to do is, but if it's inconvenient, sometimes we just don't want to, right? But a heart of worship um, is consistently obedient to what God says. So when Uzzah died in quite a traumatic way because he touched the ark, really it's a result of disobedience from God. That's not to say that God's going to strike us down if we're ever disobedient. That is not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that. Um, But what it's doing is telling us the importance of listening to what God has to say to us and putting that into our lives. And we see after that that David was angry and afraid um, in verse 8 to 9. He'd forgotten what it meant to live in the presence of God. The basis, um, I think, of living with a heart of worship is hearing from God through his word and spirit and responding consistently when it's convenient or when it's the most inconvenient thing to do. The question is, so how do we do that? What does that mean? So that brings us on to point number two. Um, A heart of worship lives in the glory of God. When David came back to that place after the ark had gone to the other person's house, whose name I can't say, um, (laughs) and saw that it brought blessing and good things to them um, and their household, he thought, you know what, actually, maybe we could have this back. Maybe this is okay. And it's like a a switch has flipped and he's remembered what it represents and what that means. When we sing songs um, about seeing God's glory, um, asking God to send his glory, asking God to show us his glory, what we're really saying is show us your presence, God. Be with us, God. We want more of you, God. A heart of worship is one that longs to live in the continual presence of our God. Chasing after God isn't something that we should take lightly. It's something that should be at the very core of our beings. We want to be people who are running hard and fast into what all God has for us. We want to be people who prioritize what God wants for us. And throughout the whole Bible, we see times where God's people thought, yeah, this is great, let's do what God says. And then they just decide to not and go the other way, right? But it's incredible to me how many times that happens and God still doesn't turn his back. He doesn't leave them hanging. They didn't live a life of worship. And I reckon they probably missed out on so many of the things God had for them. You look at the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years because they thought, you know what, we can do this our way. And the same was true for David, wasn't it? He did things his own way and it went very wrong. What are the things that we're trying to do our own way that, do you know what? God has so much better for us. God wants us to live life in its fullness. He doesn't want us to live a life of rules and restrictions. So the same can be true for us as well. We have open access to the presence of our God. There are no restrictions on us meeting with him. And when we live our lives knowing that his presence is with us, it has the potential to change our lives, but the lives of the people around us as well. 
It's a two-way thing, um, living in God's presence. He longs to meet with us, and in return, we get to partner with what it is that he has for us. We get to literally be his hands and feet, and I think that is um, the heart of worship. I think it's it's easy to talk about having a heart of worship and living a life of worship when things are going well, right? It's easy to do it when you feel like things are going right and you feel like you know what you're doing with your life and you feel like your family's doing well and you feel like your friends are all doing well. But what do we do when the ground starts to get a little bit shaky? That's when there's a challenge. I think it's so important that we acknowledge that as well in church. I think sometimes it is hard. Um, at one point in my life when things were a little bit tricky, um, things felt really heavy to carry, and someone said to me, um, your worship is keeping on putting one foot in front of the other and trying anyway. And I loved that. That is what my worship turned into at that moment. It t- kept me going to church, um, it kept me involved, it kept me in a small group, it kept me talking to um, the people I loved and who loved me um, about how I was, but also where was God in the midst of that. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, this is great, but I don't really know how I can do this. Your worship is just as valid if all you're doing is keeping one foot in front of the other and trying anyway. It instantly took the pressure away from me, um, and I hope it makes something feel a little bit lighter for you as well. And so finally, um, a heart of worship points to Jesus. If we are being consistently obedient to what our God has told us, and if we are moving and living in the glory and presence of God, then everything we do naturally will point to Jesus, right? Have you ever met someone that you just know something is different about them? Something catches your eye, something's a wee wee thing of curiosity of, oh, what's going on there? I'm sure we'll all have friends, family members, people that you know from different churches, um, work, wherever it is. When I was growing up, there was an incredible woman that some of us um, had the privilege of knowing called Margaret Young. She was the kind of person who was never too busy, she was never too tired, she was never too short on time to share something of Jesus with you. Whether it was just saying, how's it going? How are you doing? Or asking what's going on at school or telling you what God said in her life. She just kind of oozed Jesus. That sounds really weird, but I hope you kind of know what I mean. Like, she couldn't help it. It just happened. And for me, as a kid and a teenager, growing up with that, it's exactly what I needed. Someone older and wiser who was pointing the way to Jesus and modeling what it meant for me to live knowing him and walking in step with him. It was about as subtle as a break that she not only knew Jesus, but loved him and pointed to him at every chance that she got. And I'd love to be able to think that when I'm in my 80s, someone will look at me and say the same of me and think, oh, she's really wise. She shared some, some good stuff. She had the time for me. Who knows? Hopefully. But I think we can often overcomplicate what it means to live a life of whole worship. I was listening to a podcast this week um, about worship. Shocking, I know. Um, and they said that worship is anything that gives glory to God. So if being creative is your thing, do it in that way. If you love a spreadsheet, make a really good spreadsheet. Like, whatever your thing is, do it well because you're doing it for God. 
but do it well because it points people to our greater purpose in Jesus. We so regularly do describe worship um, as sort of a creative ministry, which it totally is. Um, Song worship is fantastic together. It builds us up. It encourages us. But we should have a heart of worship that is pointing to others in everything that we do. I think there's an exciting uh, challenge in that. When I look at my own life and I think, how, how often could someone look at me and say, oh, there's something different. You're, you're following something bigger than yourself. But I think that's a heart of worship, is longing to do that. When it's hard, when it's easy, when it's obvious, maybe when it's not so obvious. Yeah, so when we are consistently obedient and living in the glory of God and pointing to Jesus in, in everything and sometimes despite everything, I think that is when we invite God to move in our lives, in our midst, in our families, in our homes, in our schools, in our friends, in our workplaces. Yeah, I just want to find a bit that I said earlier because I feel like it's important. <laughs> yeah, what would it look like for us as a church to walk being recognized as people who worshiped with all of our might? What would it be like if that's what we were known for? Pretty great. <laughs> I think. But yeah. I feel like we should pray. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you don't, do, do whatever you want. But we're just going to take a little bit of time to pray for uh, some things and some people this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome you as we wait for um, for you. We welcome you here. Yeah, Jesus, would you give us hearts um, that long to worship you with everything? Would you give us hearts that are excited um, by you and want to share you with those around us? But Jesus, I thank you that you're in that when it's difficult as well. I thank you that you are with us when it's difficult to worship. And when it feels like a challenge uh, to put you first and to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Jesus, would we remember what it means to live in your presence? Would your presence permeate our lives in every area? I feel like maybe there's um, maybe a couple of different things um, going on that God might be speaking to us about. Um, the first is if you feel like you're maybe half in, you get this whole life of worship thing, but until now it's been um, sort of as and when you chose, but actually you want to take it um, almost to the next level and have that be your whole life. You want a heart of worship. Then we would love to pray for you. Um, there'll be people at the back. Um, nothing weird's going to happen. We're just going to stand with you um, and chat to Jesus.
The other thing um, is if you feel like you are just plodding. Maybe you feel like there's an immovable wall that you're pushing up against, trying to get to the next um, next place, I guess. Um, we would love to pray for you as well um, in that and into that. Um, so we're going to do that. If that is you, please do um, come to the back. We're a church that loves to pray. So we're going to do that just as we um, continue our worship with Mia. Thanks for listening to the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, please visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk or find us on social media at Sterling Vineyard Church.